open up to Colossians chapter 3. If you were here on Sunday, you were promised that we were going to continue. We went through chapters 1 and 2 on Sunday morning, and now we're going to go through chapters 3 and 4. Lord willing, we'll make it uh, tonight. And so Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. Actually, we're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 20 is where I left off and move into chapter 3. And just as a quick recap, and as I say quick recap, I want you to know that for each one of these chapters, we're just scratching the surface. If you want to spend more time listening to pastors, reading commentaries, reading on it through your own, looking up words, there is a whole lot more we could go into. This could be six, eight Bible studies easily, uh, and we're condensing it down into two. So just know that we're scratching the surface. Uh, and Colossians seeks to lay out the preeminence of Jesus, much like uh, the book of Hebrews does. Uh, but it's laying out his preeminence in creation, his preeminence uh, in redemption, his preeminence in uh, resurrection, his preeminence in the church. And then sort of what we get into tonight is Paul uh, takes what was going on in the church. They were having issues of some stuff sort of creeping in uh, of Judaism, wanting to be held under the law, people saying, wanting to, to put the law back on them when they were free in Christ by grace through faith. Uh, there was the Gnostics there who were, who were all about knowledge and higher knowledge and knowing more and only we can know these secret truths and that kind of stuff. And then there's also asceticism or, or disciplining your body as a way to be religious and right with God. And Paul's seeking to set out this case that none of that matters in Christ. He's done away with the law, the handwriting with requirements that was against you, all of these things. Jesus is better than those things. So be found in Christ. And you remember he was talking about uh, back in chapter 2, right around verse 11. It says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on. So he's laying out the case that as a Christian, you now have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. It's not no longer of the foreskin, but it's a circumcision of the heart that's taken place. The, 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 the flesh has been removed, and now we are living a life in the Spirit. You were, you were buried with Him in baptism. When you're baptized, and this is why we believe in water baptism, full immersion. Now, if you've been, there's people who can't be immersed for different reasons. Maybe you're on, in the hospital and you just got saved on your deathbed and you want to be baptized and they have to sprinkle you with water. That's still fine. It's okay. But this is why we look at bar uh, full immersion baptism because it's like symbolic of being buried with Christ. And what happened after three days, he rose again, and he lives forevermore. He's the first fruits of those who will rise again. We, too, will rise again one day. So baptism, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, but you've been baptized, that didn't do you any good. You just got wet. You might as well just went swimming. Okay? But if you've been born again, and then you're baptized, it's, it's symbolically telling everybody 
that I am now identifying with a new life in Christ. I'm leaving my old life behind. I'm being now raised as a new creation in Christ. And, you know, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So as we pick up in verse 20 where we left off, Paul says, therefore, well, what is he talking about? Therefore, all of the things that I was just laying out there for you. He says, therefore, if you, or should, uh, probably a better translation should say, since you, therefore, since you died with Christ, from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? So he's saying, since you died with Christ, symbolically, when Jesus was uh, nailed to the cross, it's your sin that was nailed there with him. Your old life was nailed there with him. When you said, Jesus, I want to follow you, you're leaving the old man and the old life dead on the cross. Jesus took care of the sin problem that you had. So he said, since you died with Christ, then what did you die from? The basic principles of the world. Why, as though living in the world, are you now wanting to subject yourself to them again? You're wanting to put yourselves back under the bondage of the law. Or you're wanting to put yourselves back under the, the bondage of knowledge or of, of, of beating your body or, or subjecting your body to religious rituals. So he's saying, why do you want to do that? Such as, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And notice self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. But check this part out. Are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Of no value. And I don't want to have the appearance of being a good Christian. I want to have the reality of being a good Christian. And there's a big difference. Jesus was all over the Pharisees' case. Why? Because the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, what do they do? They put on the appearance of being super religious. Right? They had this great outward appearance. They would wear these big phylacteries and stuff scriptures in them. They would, they would go to tithe and put their money in the box and, well, look at how much money I'm putting in the tithe thing. And they would look at, down at other men and say, oh, thank God I'm not a sinner like him. Right? But he's saying that didn't do any good against the indulgence of the flesh. And so you remember Jesus said to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, full of dead men's bones. You're dead spiritually. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be around something that's dead. It smells. A day or two, whew. I mean, anything, anything that dies and is just left, it smells. So if you're full of dead men's bones, I mean, Jesus is saying you stink spiritually. And so he's saying that doesn't help against the flesh. You remember when Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that, that if you... It's been said, thou shalt not murder, or you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you even look at your brother, 
with hatred in your heart, you're murdering him in your heart. Thou shalt not commit adultery. On the outside, I can do all kinds of stuff not to commit adultery. I can put things on my computer. That's great. I can not talk to, to women. That's great. I can, you know, those are all good things. But on the inside, if I'm an adulterer in my heart, every time that's all I think about, I haven't taken the problem, the care of the flesh problem by fixing the outside. And unfortunately, there's so many Christians that we see fall, especially in the area of adultery, because they're cleaning up the outside, but they're not dealing with the problem on the inside. It's not good enough. And Paul's laying out this case saying, why are you trying to put yourselves under this religious system which does nothing to help you against the indulgence of the flesh? And then he goes on to say, chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, and again, you can translate that since then, you were raised with Christ, what do you do? How do you avoid these problems? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's, he's saying, since you were raised with Christ, now what should we be doing? I shouldn't be chasing after religious rituals. I shouldn't be chasing after all of the things that I used to chase after. I should be chasing after Jesus. I should be seeking the things which are above where Jesus is, notice, sitting at the right hand of God. Why is he sitting at the right hand of God? Waiting to come back, yes. He's not, the work is done. He said on the cross, it is finished. He went to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. It's symbolic of the work being done. He's done it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And so Paul's saying, seek the things of God. Seek the things where Jesus is. How, what, what kind of things? Well, how about the mind of Christ that Philippians talks about? Seek the mind of Christ. That's a great thing. How about all the things that we get, and Paul's going to get into some of them here, that are, are very Jesus-like. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Dwelling on heaven will affect your life on earth. I don't, again, I've said this before, don't picture heaven as a place where there's a bunch of fat cherubs sitting on clouds playing harps. I say this, and I say this cautiously, picture heaven as everything we have on earth, but zillion times better with no sin, no corruption, no anything, and then it gets even better because God says, I have not seen and ear has not heard what he has in store for those who love him or trust him. Set your mind on those things. Think about those things. That's your goal. That's what we should be meditating on and thinking about and thankful. When you start thinking about that reality, and the older you get, the more that heaven becomes a reality because you start to lose loved ones. You, you start to lose family members and friends and different things, and heaven becomes a reality, and it becomes a place that you long for because one, you get to be with Jesus, but two, you get to be reunited with people who have gone before you. And to think about this, you're going to meet David, the guy who fought lions and bears and slew the giant. You're going to meet the Apostle Paul, 
You're going to meet Jonah. What was it really like in the belly of the fish? I mean, it's going to be amazing. Lazarus, what were you thinking when you came back from the dead? Why did you wake me up? Like, what, what's it going to be like? And just meditate on those things. And then as you begin to do that, as heaven becomes a reality, it changes who you are in your current situation. And so he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Verse 3, for you died, spiritually speaking, the old man, the flesh, died with Christ, and your life is now hidden in him. If you belong to Jesus, there is no you. You're a dead man walking. And you know what else? Dead men can't be offended. We get offended way too easy. Dead men can't be offended. But you died and your life is hidden in Christ. How many of you guys had pizza? Let's see a lot of hands go up. Pizza, salad, there's some cookies out there. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else, but that food that you just ate is now hidden in you. It's now be, being assimilated into who you are. And you may not want it to assimilate into you, but it is. And, and just like that, you are hidden in Christ. You are a part of Jesus. You are part of the body. He's the head, you're the body. And so, verse 4, and then it says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Being with Jesus and coming back with him. Amazing. If you don't know how to ride horses, you will by then. So in light of what he's saying, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he, he begins to give a list. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Notice it's all past tense. Because you are in Christ, therefore put to death, or the word is, it's actually mortify, the members which are on the earth, your members which are on the earth. He, he lists fornication. What's fornication? Well, the word in the Greek is porneia. It covers all types of illicit sexual immorality. Anything outside of the covenant of marriage that God has ordained between a genetic male and a genetic female. You may have lots of thoughts and things about the different lifestyle choices that people can make. God has ordained man, woman, and marriage between a man and a woman, period. And it, the purpose of that, I'm going to get off on a tangent. The purpose of that is to be a picture of the, the bride of Christ and Jesus to the world. And if we start deviating from that it messes up the picture god doesn't like when his pictures are messed up ask moses couldn't go into the promised land but that's what the word is fornication is pornea uncleanness that means impurity passion is anything that causes you to lust uh evil desire that is sort of like a the word in the greek is sort of like a catch-all it's like if we miss anything this covers the rest of it and covetousness, desiring something that doesn't belong to you, which is what? 
idolatry. What is idolatry? It's worship of anything other than God. It's putting anything in God's place. That can be my spouse. That can be my kids. That can be my pets. It can be my job. Anything that I put in God's place in my life has become an idol in my life. And let me give you a quick test. What are you thinking about when you go to bed at night? What's the last thing you're thinking about? And what's the first thing you're thinking about when you wake up? If you're like many of us, maybe you're thinking about the bills when you go to bed. And then when you wake up, you're still thinking about the bills. Maybe money has become an idol in your life. Shift your focus back onto Jesus. Anything. And, it's, and I'm not condemning anyone. I'm right there with you. But we, we, any time we let something come in place of Jesus in our life, it becomes an idol. And so uh, <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, because of these things that he's named, isn't that crazy? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience or those that, who are not following Jesus. And we're learning about that in Revelation on Sunday. The wrath of God being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And then he says, in which you yourselves, put your name in there, once walked when you lived in them. That's great that it's past tense. When you once walked. And that we should be going a different direction following Jesus. But it's easy. Don't The hard part is to walk with Jesus and to not do the things of the flesh. It's something that you, it doesn't just happen once and then you're like, it's, it's great for the rest of your life. It can always be a struggle. Sometimes you may be doing great. You're soaring with Jesus. You're reading your one-year Bible every day. You're in prayer and you're like, man, I think I'm doing good. I'm going to take it easy for a few weeks. Watch out. Because you don't have to do a whole lot to rehab the flesh. It's like a, it's like picture like a, like a deflated like man just hanging onto your leg all the time, not really causing a lot of problems, but as it begins to get inflated again, it starts to weigh a little bit more. And you're like, man, this flesh is really wearing me down. Turn back to Jesus. Say, Lord, help me, forgive me, and go back to your first love. Then he says in verse 8, but now, you were that now, but now you yourselves are to put off like dirty clothes, right? Put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, by barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says, but now that you yourselves, there is a part, our part that we have to play. Jesus went to the cross. He took care of the sin penalty, but that doesn't absolve us from having some part in the sanctification process. We have to take the efforts to put off things, right? If I struggle with pornography, maybe I have to get rid of computers or phones out of my house so I can put those things off. Jesus said it'd be better for you to go to hell missing an eye than it would be to go, I mean, it'd be better for you to go to heaven missing an eye than to go to hell with two eyes. 
take drastic action to remove sin from your life. And Paul, this is not legalism. This is practical Christian living. Okay, there's a difference. Legalism says you can't come into this building unless you're wearing a suit and a tie. You're not spiritual enough unless you have a suit and a tie. This is practical living. This is things that every Christian should be striving to do. This, God is not a killjoy. You, this is where you find your life. And so he says, put off all of these angers. The, the word there for anger, it could be, it's defined as a stewing type of anger where it brews, right? My wife has this type of anger. I'd say that to her face. We've had this conversation before. But she has this type of anger where I know something's bothering her, but I say, what's the matter? She's like, nothing, 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 nothing. Then finally, she lays it all out. Something's wrong. I've been asking you for a week, what's the matter with you? Well, she's stewing. She's got this kind of anger. The next one where it says wrath, this is, this is the thumos anger. This is like a volcano that erupts. That's me. That's the kind of anger I have. And typically the people like me, we erupt and it's over with and I'm done and I'm good. But now I've offended everybody else in my house, but I expect that they should be good too because I'm good. Right? This is the type of anger. And do I got any fellow like throwers in here? Like you throw stuff when you get mad? Like That's this type of anger. Right? And either one, we need to bring them in subjection to Jesus. Put off these things. It may creep up, but as, as you stay close to Jesus, as you're setting your mind on heaven and doing these things, God is going to begin to do a work in your heart that one day something will happen and you won't even realize that it's happened until your spouse or somebody else says, hey, you didn't even get mad. Well, you're right, I didn't get mad. That's cool. God's doing a work. So that malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. A lot of us struggle with this one. Right? How about in traffic? Any of you struggle with that one? So these are the things, as we get rid of these things, we take, we look different to the world around us. We put off the aroma of Jesus. To some, Paul says, that that is the aroma of death, leading to death. To some, it's the aroma of life, leading to life. But people will recognize the difference. They'll see the difference in your life. Don't lie to one another. We should, we should be honest with each other. We should be like, God does not lie. Since you have put off. And he keeps saying put off. And this is like the action. Think of it. It's literally like to, to like take clothes off. But it's, since it's the things you're supposed to put off, think of like dirty clothing. I spent 15 years in Houston. You spend an hour outside mowing the lawn in Houston in the summertime where it's 95 degrees with 90% humidity. And you cannot come in the house with dry clothes. You want to get them off as soon as you can. My wife used to hate it if I would walk with my, you know, you have the grass on your clothes and you're all sweaty. And if I would walk like from the back door to the laundry room, she'd get mad. She'd want me to take them off outside and bring them in. That's what you're taking off. Take off the, the filthy stuff, the old stuff. And then he goes on to say about, in verse 11, he says, put, or verse 10, put on the new man. So you're not only supposed to put something off, 
You put off those dirty, sweaty, old clothes, and you take a shower, and then you go, you're going out to dinner that night, so now you're going to go find something nice to wear. You need to put on something else. So there is something to put off, but then there's something else to put on. And he says to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Jesus created you. We talked about it on Sunday. So all things were created by him and for him. So put on the new man. Be renewed in Christ. The way to deal with some of these things that you have to put off, the Holy Spirit is so faithful and he's so good to sort of tap you on the shoulder and let you know that there's a problem. But we usually, or at least I do, tend to go, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to get all mad. I'm not going to throw anything. Okay, things are good. And I just ignore the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? I get mad and I throw something. Right? The reality is, like, if I stop in that moment, and I say, Lord, you're, 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 inner, you're stopping me. I need to put my mind on you. I need to pray. I need to just take a break for a little bit. I need to walk away from this and come back to it later. That, the, that God begins to, he just does that work. You know what I used to do when, I, when my, my youngest daughter, she's 12, going to be 13, when, when she was little, and I would have to put, I, one of the things I despise is like Ikea furniture. Okay? So trying to put together some Ikea furniture, one of the things I used to do as an accountability for myself, Lord help me, and I would have her play right there right in the middle of what I was doing so that I didn't blow up. I didn't act like a fool. I didn't throw something. I didn't blow my witness in front of my whole family. Right? That's, sometimes we have to do things to hold ourselves accountable. So verse 12, oh, I'm sorry, verse 11, he talks about all these, whether renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in and all. There is no room for racism, class divisions within the body of Christ. The pastor is no greater than the member. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all have a different part of the body of, in the body of Christ. There is no differences. Someone walks in here, you know, I, I hate the you know, it's okay that we have different churches that do different things, but I hate, like, when they start dividing churches by race. This is a this is a white church or a black church or an Armenian church or whatever. Like, I understand why that happens, and but, man, it's just like we're all one. It shouldn't make a difference. We're worshiping the same God. We may do things a little bit differently, but if you go to a church and you're not able to worship because, say, like, oh, uh, the singer was off key or I didn't like drums or I can't stand guitars or whatever. Like, that's your problem. You're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Worship Him no matter what. I've, I've sat in a service in El Salvador where they didn't have a guitar in tune. And man, we worshiped our hearts out in Spanish. Didn't understand what was being said. But I knew we were worshiping Jesus, so we just worshiped. Right? I mean, like, that's the reality. So there, there shouldn't be any of that. Jesus has provided to bring all men, women, classes, everything together. All ground is equal at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners saved by grace. 
So therefore, as the elect of God, or as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, again, put on, here's some more things to put on, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Oh, here's one that we don't always like. Forgiving one another. Notice, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. So he says here, as the elect of God, we're to put these things on. I want to go to the forgiving one another. If you have a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This isn't we bury the hatchet, but then leave the handle sticking out. How did Jesus forgive you? He removed it, your sin, as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. Sometimes we beat ourselves up. I'm, I'm sinned in this area, and now I've sinned in this area again. We say, oh, God, forgive me. I just keep messing up. And it's like, think of it like this. The last time you asked for forgiveness, God forgave you completely because the next time he chooses not to remember your sins and your lawless deeds. So it's like every time you come for forgiveness, it's not like God's not saying, oh, you did it again. Let me kick you into the, the, the room or whatever. You're forgiven. It's gone. It's been wiped out. It's not held against you anymore. In Jesus, you have been forgiven. And so that's how he wants us to forgive one another. And then he says, above all things, put on love. What did Paul say? That if you have all the gifts and all the talents, but you don't have love, you're what? You're like a gong, a clanging cymbal. Imagine the drums over here, and I grab the stick, and I just... That gets pretty annoying real quick. If you don't have love, that's what you look like. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians out there in the political, social media world who are spouting a lot of scripture with a lack of love in their heart. I don't care what the, the person's political view is, what their status of vaccine is or whatever. Jesus didn't say anything about that. He said, I'm to represent him and people will know me as one of his by my love for other people. If I don't have love for other people, all I am is making noise. And that's unfortunately, again, social media, politics, all this stuff that's happening in our world right now. There's a lot of people professing to be Christians who are nothing but noise makers. And they're, they're putting a bad taste of Jesus in people's mouths. And then he says, let the peace of God rule. The word is umpire. Let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. Or let the peace of God make the call in your life. To which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it sink down into your life. Let the word of Christ dwell. Just hang out richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing who? One another. It's not just the pastor's job. It's our jobs to teach and admonish one another or uh, warn or correct. How do we do that? We do it with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Why in songs? Why would we take scripture and make it song in order to admonish and teach? 
memory. You remember songs. There, there's probably commercials. You can sing the jingle. It's like, I, Mama lifted up with A-L-L. That's all the same. Lifted, that's all. Right? It's stuck forever. That's what I was a little kid in the 80s when I heard that. It's not going away. Same with songs. You put songs in, and they're there. So it's a great, they used to learn song. The, the, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew people would sing the Psalms as they were traveling. They would sing the Psalms. The book of Revelation was used as a hymnal. Amazing. You can remember it. brings them to your memory. So whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do something. All, and all means all, and that's all that all means, okay? So do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Who are you doing things for? If you hate your job and your job sucks and you don't like your boss and you don't like your coworkers, don't do it for them. You're doing it for Jesus. It allows you to get through things. If you don't like to change diapers or to mow lawn or clean up after your dog, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it for Jesus. Then this is the part that I was just going to skip, but wives. So I'm just going to go through this real fast, honestly, because I don't. This is not a like a marriage and family seminar, so I'm going to touch a couple things just to move through this. But wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So here's the, the key to this, in the Lord. If your husband's asking you to do something that's not biblical, if your husband's saying, hey, let's watch porn together, or let's do this or do that, or let's go rob a bank, that's not in the Lord. You don't need to submit to that. But everything else, the Bible says, submit to your own husbands in the Lord. Husbands, we have an admonishment too. What? Love your wife. And do not be bitter towards her. How many times have we given the like cold shoulder or something? We, uh, I just won't. I just won't talk to you for a while. Guys, if you don't know this, your wives. And I'm generalizing here, so if you're not this type of woman, I apologize. But they wives like affection. They like hugs. They like kisses. They like to be near you. Guys, we're not always like that. I can be by myself for a long time and be happy. But your wife, so don't don't be bitter towards her. If you guys have had an argument, forgive one another. In Ephesians, it talks about submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So it's not just like the husband's not like the domineering guy in the house. It shouldn't be that way. It should look like Jesus. It should be represented. Jesus is the head of the man. Man is the head of your wife. And that's God's order. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And again, not in areas of sin. This is in areas of godly things. If you have godly parents, well, all the kids are in there, but if you have godly parents, be so thankful. Being in law enforcement for 20, 21 years, I met a lot of parents who didn't give a rip about their kids who abused their kids. They didn't care anything about their well-being. If you have a parent who loves Jesus and takes care of you, be so grateful for that. Or if you've had that in your life, be so grateful for that. 
And this is speaking about children. As their kids come to an age of accountability, they, they have to make their own decisions in how they follow Jesus. And so, <coughs> fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. How do we provoke our children? I, one of the simplest things that I can think of is expecting way too much out of them. They're kids. Put yourself, remember the you at 12 and the goofy, stupid things that you would do at 12 or 15 or whatever age it is. They're learning. They're trying to figure things out. We can't expect perfection out of our kids. We can just direct them to follow Jesus and direct them in the way of the Lord and, and pray for them and just leave them in God's hands. Bond servants, this would be employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, what? Fearing God. So if you don't like your boss, don't just like, you guys have all worked with somebody like this. When the boss comes around, they're like, oh, yes. Boss walks off, they're like, this guy, I'm not doing nothing, right? But don't, don't be that. Do it as unto the Lord. And it says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Check this out, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Heartily. Not barely. Heartily. If you have a hearty breakfast, that means it's big. Do it, do it as unto the Lord. And not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ, that he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. God's going to judge, he's going to give justice, and he's going to do it perfectly. We don't have to worry about it. Masters, so if you're a boss, a business owner, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Pay them for working. If they work for you, pay them. Pay them a fair wage. And notice he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us that God would open a door, open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains. Paul's in jail. His prayer request is not pray that I would get out of here soon. His prayer request is pray that I would be given an open door to share God's word with people. Man. Talk about a heart for people. And then he says, verse 4, Why? That I might make it manifest or known as I ought to speak. And then check this one out. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. In Ephesians, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So walk in wisdom towards those who are not saved. If I'm going around all the time acting and looking and as if I'm not saved, that's why it's important that we're putting on the new man and doing these things because we put forth to the, un, the lost world. We're redeeming the time. You realize that Jesus is coming sooner today than ever before. His return is imminent. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's closer than it was 10 years ago. There's only a set amount of days that we can redeem the time, and it's by putting on the new man, 
by loving people, by walking in wisdom, by doing as every, everything as unto the Lord, by being the one who's not talking back to your boss, who's working heartily as unto the Lord, that you're redeeming the time that people are noticing. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Again, if you're like me, struggle here. Salt adds flavor to a conversation or to food. Is your speech adding flavor and not, not like in a negative way, but is it, is it adding flavor? Is it making that conversation better because you got involved in it and you're, you're talking about the Lord? That you may know how you ought to answer one another. And then Paul gives us his farewell greeting. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the scriptures and in different places. He is seems to be a guy who is always delivering news. And he says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know of your circumstance and comfort your heart. With Onesimus, he's mentioned two times in scripture. It's, he's said to be a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, so he's also from Colossae. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. You can read the story of Onesimus in the book of Philemon. It's a real easy read. You can read it tonight before bed. Aristarchus, he's mentioned three times. He's my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark. That's John Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. The cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Remember in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul had a falling out over John Mark. John Mark kind of flaked out on their mission trip, and then they were going to go again. Barnabas said, well, let's go ahead and get John Mark on board and take him. And Paul said, no way, I'm not taking that flake. He's not coming with us. And they had a big contention. It ended up going in two separate mission teams. God used their contention to, to spread the word more. But it didn't stay that way. They made up. Paul now says, Greet him, welcome him when he comes. Later on in 2 Timothy, he says, send John Mark, he's useful to me. So there was a, a restoration there. And Jesus, not to be con confused with Jesus of the red letter Jesus, but Jesus who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They're Jews. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, he's the guy from Colossae. He's the pastor of the Colossian church, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. So Epaphras has a pastor's heart. He loves the people there. He's His heart and his desire is for them. He's laboring in prayer for them. Are you and I laboring in prayer for anything, anyone? Who, if you, if you were going to labor in prayer for someone, who would it be? Are you laboring in prayer for your brothers and sisters here? Are we laboring in prayer for Pastor Chris? Are we laboring in prayer? Like, these are, it's so important that we're praying for one another. And then, Paul says in verse 13 about Epaphras, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, also the beloved physician, 
and Demas mentioned three times in Scripture, I'm going to say this. Look up Demas and don't be a Demas. When you, when you go look him up and you find the three places he's mentioned in Scripture, you'll understand why I say don't be a Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. So this guy Nymphas has a, church, a home Bible study. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that is also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. We do not have that epistle. And say to Archippus, mentioned two times in the scripture, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So apparently Archippus had a ministry that he needed to do something about. Can you imagine getting this letter and you're reading the letter and all of a sudden you tell Archippus huh? <laughs> to take heed to the ministry that he's received from the Lord that he might fulfill it. And then Paul says this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. So Paul, likely this letter was uh, scribed by Timothy, but Paul wrote his own salutation and signed his own name here at the end. One of the other epistles, he says that he wrote the epistle. You can tell by the big writing, and Paul had eye problems. Uh, and so um, just interesting that he loved these people that he had never met. He cared about them enough to write this letter. And we can say honestly that God cares about us enough to allow this letter to be here for our hearts for us to be obedient to for us to put off the old man and to put on the new man to recognize that we are found perfect hidden in christ we don't need a religious system we don't need special clothes or we don't need special knowledge you have enough with your bible it is god's word and it is given that the man, woman of God might be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing, it says. So read your Bible. Spend time in your Bible. Let it dwell in your heart richly. Spend time laboring in prayer. Again, we talked about on Sunday, you don't have to labor for hours on end in prayer, but just make it a discipline in your life. Reading the Bible, spending time in prayer is a discipline. If you, if you are doing, just like a workout program, Right, you have to be disciplined. There's diet. What, what, what percentage of it is diet? There's like big, big percentage of your workout program. Eighty percent is diet. The rest of it's whatever your cardio, weights, whatever you're going to do for that. Depends on what you want to do with your fitness. But it takes discipline. The best athletes in the world are disciplined. They do this stuff year round. They train. Well, to be a great Christian, we have to have the same discipline. Again, it's not a religious thing that makes you more right with God but it helps you to know the heart of God and it allows God to direct your steps and that you can walk with him and so let's go ahead and pray Father we thank you tonight just for the time in your word we thank you for your goodness to us that you are alive that you are working that you are moving in each one of our lives and you desire for us to walk with you and I pray that we would do that, that we would walk humbly with our God, that we would spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time loving one another, admonishing, putting on the new man, putting off the old man, making an effort to 
to walk in the new life that you've given us. We're so thankful for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.